Story nineteen of Christmas Stories by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story nineteen Mugby Junction, Part three. But how will you know, sir, which is the most promising? she asked, with her brightened eyes roving over the view. Ah, said Barbox Brothers, with another grave smile and considerably improving in his ease of speech, to be sure, in this way where your father can pick up so much every day for a good purpose i may once and again pick up a little for an indifferent purpose the gentleman for nowhere must become still better known at the junction he shall continue to explore it until he attaches something that he has seen heard or found out at the head of each of the seven roads to the road itself and so his choice of a road shall be determined by his choice among his discoveries her hands still busy, she again glanced at the prospect, as if it comprehended something that had not been in it before, and laughed as if it yielded her new pleasure. "'But I must not forget,' said Barbix Brothers, having got so far, to ask a favour. I want your help in this expedient of mine. I want to bring you what I pick up at the heads of the seven roads that you lie here looking out at, and to compare notes with you about it. May I?' they say two heads are better than one i should say myself that probably depends upon the heads concerned but i am quite sure though we are so newly acquainted that your head and your father's have found out better things phoebe than ever mine of itself discovered she gave him her sympathetic right hand in perfect rapture with his proposal and eagerly and gratefully thanked him that's well said barbox brothers again i must not forget having got so far to ask a favour will you shut your eyes laughing playfully at the strange nature of the request she did so keep them shut said barbox brothers going softly to the door and coming back you are on your honour mind not to open your eyes until i tell you that you may yes on my honour good may i take your lace pillow from you for a minute still laughing and wondering she removed her hands from it and he put it aside tell me did you see the puffs of smoke and steam made by the morning fast train yesterday on road number seven from here behind the elm tree and the spire that's the road said barbox brothers directing his eyes towards it yes i watched them melt away anything unusual in what they expressed no she answered merrily not complimentary to me for i was in that train i went don't open your eyes to fetch you this from the great ingenious town it is not half so large as your lace pillow and lies easily and lightly in its place these little keys are like the keys of a miniature piano and you supply the air required with your left hand may you pick out delightful music from it my dear for the present you can open your eyes now good-bye in his embarrassed way he closed the door upon himself and only saw in doing so that she ecstatically took the present to her bosom and caressed it the glimpse gladdened his heart and yet saddened it for so might she if her youth had flourished in its natural course have taken to her breast that day the slumbering music of her own child's voice chapter two barbox brothers and company 
with good will and earnest purpose the gentleman for nowhere began on the very next day his researches in the heads of the seven roads the results of his researches as he and phoebe afterwards set them down in fair writing hold their due places in this veracious account but they occupied a much longer time in the getting together than they ever will in the perusal and this is probably the case with most reading matter except when it is of that highly beneficial kind for posterity which is thrown off in a few moments of leisure by the superior poetic geniuses who scorn to take prose pains it must be admitted however that barbox by no means hurried himself his heart being in his work of good nature he revelled in it there was the joy too it was a true joy to him of sometimes sitting by listening to phoebe as she picked out more and more discourse from her musical instrument and as her natural taste and ear refined daily upon her first discoveries besides being a pleasure this was an occupation and in the course of weeks it consumed hours it resulted that his dreaded birthday was close upon him before he had troubled himself any more about it the matter was made more pressing by the unforeseen circumstance that the councils held at which mr lamps beaming most brilliantly on a few rare occasions assisted respecting the road to be selected were after all in no wise assisted by his investigations for he had connected this interest with this road or that interest with the other but could deduce no reason from it for giving any road the preference consequently when the last council was holden that part of the business stood in the end exactly where it had stood in the beginning but sir remarked phoebe we have only six roads after all is the seventh road dumb the seventh road oh said barbox brothers rubbing his chin that is the road i took you know when i went to get your little present that is its story phoebe would you mind taking that road again sir she asked with hesitation not in the least it is a great high road after all i should like you to take it returned phoebe with a persuasive smile for the love of that little present which must ever be so dear to me i should like you to take it because that road can never be again like any other road to me i should like you to take it in remembrance of your having done me so much good of your having made me so much happier if you leave me by the road you travelled when you went to do me this great kindness sounding a faint chord as she spoke i shall feel lying here watching at my window as if it must conduct you to a prosperous end and bring you back some day it shall be done my dear it shall be done so at last the gentleman for nowhere took a ticket for somewhere and his destination was the great ingenious town he had loitered so long about the junction that it was the eighteenth of december when he left it high time he reflected as he seated himself in the train that i started in earnest only one clear day remains between me and the day i am running away from i'll push onward for the hill country to-morrow i'll go to wales it was with some pains that he placed before himself the undeniable advantages to be gained in the way of novel occupation for his senses from misty mountains swollen streams rain cold a wild seashore and rugged roads and yet he scarcely made them out as distinctly as he could have wished 
whether the poor girl in spite of her new resource her music would have any feeling of loneliness upon her now just at first that she had not had before whether she saw those very puffs of steam and smoke that he saw as he sat in the train thinking of her whether her face would have any pensive shadow on it as they died out of the distant view from her window whether in telling him he had done her so much good she had not unconsciously corrected his old moody bemoaning of his station in life by setting him thinking that a man might be a great healer if he would and yet not be a great doctor these and other similar meditations got between him and his welsh picture there was within him too that dull sense of vacuity which follows separation from an object of interest and cessation of a pleasant pursuit and this sense being quite new to him made him restless further in losing mugby junction he had found himself again and he was not the more enamoured of himself for having lately passed his time in better company but surely here not far ahead must be the great ingenious town this crashing and clashing that the train was undergoing and this coupling on to it of a multitude of new echoes could mean nothing less than approach to the great station it did mean nothing less after some stormy flashes of town lightning in the way of swift revelations of red brick blocks of houses high red brick chimney shafts vistas of red brick railway arches tongues of fire blocks of smoke valleys of canal and hills of coal there came the thundering in it at the journey's end having seen his portmanteau safely housed in the hotel he chose and having appointed his dinner hour barbox brothers went out for a walk in the busy streets and now it began to be suspected by him that mugby junction was a junction of many branches invisible as well as visible and had joined him to an endless number of byways for whereas he would but a little while ago have walked these streets blindly brooding he now had eyes and thoughts for a new external world how the many toiling people lived and loved and died how wonderful it was to consider the various trainings of eye and hand the nice distinctions of sight and touch that separated them into classes of workers and even into classes of workers at subdivisions of one complete whole which combined their many intelligences and forces though of itself but some cheap object of use or ornament in common life how good it was to know that such assembling in a multitude on their part and such contribution of their several dexterities towards a civilizing end did not deteriorate them as it was the fashion of the supercilious mayflies of humanity to pretend but engendered among them a self-respect and yet a modest desire to be much wiser than they were the first evinced in their well-balanced bearing and manner of speech when he stopped to ask a question the second in the announcements of their popular studies and amusements on the public walls these considerations and a host of such made his walk a memorable one i too am but a little part of a great whole he began to think and to be serviceable to myself and others or to be happy i must cast my interest into and draw it out of the common stock 
although he had arrived at his journey's end for the day by noon he had since insensibly walked about the town so far and so long that the lamplighters were now at their work in the streets and the shops were sparkling up brilliantly thus reminded to turn towards his quarters he was in the act of doing so when a very little hand crept into his and a very little voice said oh if you please i am lost he looked down and saw a very little fair-haired girl yes she said confirming her words with a serious nod i am indeed i am lost greatly perplexed he stopped looked about him for help descried none and said bending low where do you live my child i don't know where i live she returned i am lost what is your name polly what is your other name the reply was prompt but unintelligible imitating the sound as he caught it he hazarded the guess trivets oh no said the child shaking her head nothing like that say it again little one an unpromising business for this time it had quite a different sound he made the venture paddens oh no said the child nothing like that once more let us try it again dear a most hopeless business this time it swelled into four syllables it can't be tapavary said barbox brothers rubbing his head with his hat in discomfiture no it ain't the child quietly assented on her trying this unfortunate name once more with extraordinary efforts at distinctness it swelled into eight syllables at least ah i think said barbox brothers with a desperate air of resignation that we had better give it up but i am lost said the child nestling her little hand more closely in his and you'll take care of me won't you if ever a man were disconcerted by division between compassion on the one hand and the very imbecility of irresolution on the other here the man was lost he repeated looking down at the child i am sure i am what is to be done where do you live asked the child looking up at him wistfully over there he answered pointing vaguely in the direction of his hotel hadn't we better go there said the child really he replied i don't know but what we had so they set off hand in hand he through comparison of himself against his little companion with a clumsy feeling on him as if he had just developed into a foolish giant she clearly elevated in her own tiny opinion by having got him so neatly out of his embarrassment we are going to have dinner when we get there i suppose said polly well he rejoined i uh, yes i suppose we are do you like your dinner asked the child why on the whole said barbox brothers uh, yes i do i do mine said polly have you any brothers and sisters no have you mine are dead oh said barbox brothers with that absurd sense of unwieldiness of mind and body weighing him down he would have not known how to pursue the conversation beyond this curt rejoinder but that the child was always ready for him what she asked turning her soft hand coaxingly in his are you going to do to amuse me after dinner upon my soul polly exclaimed barbox brothers very much at a loss i have not the slightest idea then i tell you what said polly have you got any cards in your house 
"'Plenty,' said Barbick's brothers, in a boastful vein. "'Very well. Then I'll build houses, and you shall look at me. You mustn't blow, you know.' "'Oh, no,' said Barbick's brothers. "'No, no, no. No blowing. Blowing's not fair.' He flattered himself that he had said this pretty well for an idiotic monster, but the child, instantly perceiving the awkwardness of his attempt to adapt himself to her level, utterly destroyed his hopeful opinions of himself by saying compassionately, "'What a funny man you are!' Feeling after this melancholy failure, as if he every minute grew bigger and heavier in person, and weaker in mind, Barbix gave himself up for a bad job no giant ever submitted more meekly to be led in triumph by all-conquering jack than he to be bound in slavery to polly do you know any stories she asked him he was reduced to the humiliating confession no what a dunce you must be mustn't you said polly he was reduced to the humiliating confession yes would you like me to teach you a story but you must remember it, you know, and be able to tell it right to somebody else afterwards. He professed that it would afford him the highest mental gratification to be taught a story, and that he would humbly endeavor to retain it in his mind. Whereupon Polly, giving her hand a new little turn in his, expressive of settling down for enjoyment, commenced a long romance, of which every relishing clause began with the words, So this or and so this as so this boy or so this fairy or and so this pie was four yards round and two yards and a quarter deep the interest of the romance was derived from the intervention of this fairy to punish this boy for having a greedy appetite to achieve which purpose this fairy made this pie and this boy ate and ate and ate and his cheeks swelled and swelled and swelled there were many tributary circumstances but the forcible interest culminated in the total consumption of this pie and the bursting of this boy truly he was a fine sight barbix brothers with serious attentive face and ear bent down much jostled on the pavements of the busy town but afraid of losing a single incident of the epic lest he should be examined in it by and by and found deficient thus they arrived at the hotel and there he had to say at the bar and say awkwardly enough i have found a little girl the whole establishment turned out to look at the little girl nobody knew her nobody could make out her name as she set it forth except one chambermaid who said it was constantinople which it wasn't i will dine with my young friend in a private room said barbix brothers to the hotel authorities and perhaps you will be so good as to let the police know that the pretty baby is here i suppose she is sure to be inquired for soon if she has not been already come along polly perfectly at ease and peace polly came along but finding the stairs rather stiff work was carried up by barbix brothers the dinner was a most transcendent success and the barbix sheepishness under polly's directions how to mince her meat for her and how to diffuse gravy over the plate with a liberal and equal hand was another fine sight and now said polly while we are at dinner you be good and tell me that story i taught you 
with the tremors of a civil service examination upon him and very uncertain indeed not only as to the epoch at which the pie appeared in history but also as to the measurements of that indispensable fact barbox brothers made a shaky beginning but under encouragement did very fairly there was a want of breadth observable in his rendering of the cheeks as well as the appetite of the boy and there was a certain tameness in his fairy referable to an undercurrent of desire to account for her still as the first lumbering performance of a good-humoured monster it passed muster i told you to be good said polly and you are good ain't you well, i hope so replied barbox brothers such was his deference that polly elevated on a platform of sofa cushions in a chair at his right hand encouraged him with a pat or two on the face from the greasy bowl of her spoon and even with a gracious kiss in getting on her feet upon her chair however to give him this last reward she toppled forward among the dishes and caused him to exclaim as he effected her rescue gracious angels Whew, i thought we were in the fire polly what a coward you are ain't you said polly when replaced yes i am rather nervous he replied Whew, don't polly don't flourish your spoon or you'll go over sideways don't tilt up your legs when you laugh polly or you'll go over backwards Whew, polly 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 said barbox brothers nearly succumbing to despair we are environed with dangers indeed he could descry no security from the pitfalls that were yawning for polly but in proposing to her after dinner to sit upon a low stool i will if you will said polly so as peace of mind could go before all he begged the waiter to wheel aside the table bring a pack of cards a couple of footstools and a screen and close in polly and himself before the fire as it were in a snug room within the room then finest sight of all was barbox brothers on his footstool with a pint decanter on the rug contemplating polly as she built successfully and growing blue in the face with holding his breath lest he should blow the house down how you stare don't you said polly in a houseless pause detected in the ignoble fact he felt obliged to admit apologetically i am afraid i was looking rather hard at you polly why do you stare asked polly i cannot he murmured to himself recall why i don't know polly you must be a simpleton to do things and not know why mustn't you said polly in spite of which reproof he looked at the child again intently as she bent her head over her card structure her rich curls shading her face it is impossible he thought that i can ever have seen this pretty baby before can i have dreamed of her in some sorrowful dream he could make nothing of it so he went into the building trade as a journeyman under polly and they built three stories high four stories high even five i say who do you think is coming asked polly rubbing her eyes after tea he guessed the waiter no said polly the dustman i am getting sleepy a new embarrassment for barbox brothers i don't think i am going to be fetched to-night said polly what do you think he thought not either 
after another quarter of an hour the dustman not merely impending but actually arriving recourse was had to the constantinopolitan chambermaid who cheerily undertook that the child should sleep in a comfortable and wholesome room which she herself would share and i know you will be careful won't you said barbox brothers as a new fear dawned upon him that she won't fall out of bed polly found this so highly entertaining that she was under the necessity of clutching him round the neck with both arms as he sat on his footstool picking up the cards and rocking him to and fro with her dimpled chin on his shoulder oh what a coward you are ain't you said polly do you fall out of bed n not generally polly no more do i with that polly gave him a reassuring hug or two to keep him going and then giving that confiding mite of a hand of hers to be swallowed up in the hand of the constantinopolitan chambermaid trotted off chattering without a vestige of anxiety he looked after her had the screen removed and the table and chairs replaced and still looked after her he paced the room for half an hour a most engaging little creature but it's not that a most winning little voice but it's not that that has much to do with it but there is something more how can it be that i seem to know this child what was it she imperfectly recalled to me when i felt her touch in the street and looked down at her saw her looking up at me mr jackson with a start he turned towards the sound of the subdued voice and saw his answer standing at the door oh mr jackson do not be severe with me speak a word of encouragement to me i beseech you you are polly's mother yes yes polly herself might come to this one day as you see what the rose was in its faded leaves as you see what the summer growth of the woods was in their wintry branches so polly might be traced one day in a careworn woman like this with her hair turned grey before him were the ashes of a dead fire that had once burned bright this was the woman he had loved this was the woman he had lost such had been the constancy of his imagination to her so had time spared her under its withholding that now seeing how roughly the inexorable hand had struck her his soul was filled with pity and amazement he led her to a chair and stood leaning on a corner of the chimney-piece with his head resting on his hand and his face half averted did you see me in the street and show me to your child he asked yes is the little creature then a party to deceit i hope there is no deceit i said to her we have lost our way and i must try to find mine by myself go to that gentleman and tell him you are lost you shall be fetched by and by perhaps you have not thought how very young she is she is very self-reliant perhaps because she is so young he asked after a short pause why did you do this oh mr jackson do you ask me in the hope that you might see something in my innocent child to soften your heart towards me not only towards me but towards my husband he suddenly turned about and walked to the opposite end of the room he came back again with a slower step and resumed his former attitude saying i thought you had immigrated to america we did but life went ill with us there and we came back do you live in this town 
yes i am a daily teacher of music here my husband is a bookkeeper are you forgive my asking poor we earn enough for our wants that is not our distress my husband is very very ill of a lingering disorder he will never recover you check yourself if it is for want of the encouraging word you spoke of take it from me i cannot forget the old time beatrice god bless you she replied with a burst of tears and gave him her trembling hand compose yourself i cannot be composed if you are not for to see you weep distresses me beyond expression speak freely to me trust me she shaded her face with her veil and after a little while spoke calmly her voice had the ring of polly's it is not that my husband's mind is at all impaired by his bodily suffering for i assure you that is not the case but in his weakness and in his knowledge that he is incurably ill he cannot overcome the ascendancy of one idea it preys upon him embitters every moment of his painful life and will shorten it she stopping he said again speak freely to me trust me we have had five children before this darling and they all lie in their little graves he believes that they have withered away under a curse and that it will blight this child like the rest under what curse both i and he have it on our conscience that we tried you very heavily and i do not know but that if i were as ill as he i might suffer in my mind as he does this is the constant burden i believe beatrice i was the only friend that mr jackson ever cared to make though i was so much his junior the more influence he acquired in the business the higher he advanced me and i was alone in his private confidence i came between him and you and i took you from him we were both secret and the blow fell when he was wholly unprepared the anguish it caused a man so compressed must have been terrible the wrath it awakened inappeasable so a curse came to be invoked on our poor pretty little flowers and they fall and you beatrice he asked when she had ceased to speak and there had been a silence afterwards how say you until within these last few weeks i was afraid of you and i believe that you would never never forgive until within these few weeks he repeated have you changed your opinion of me within these few weeks yes for what reason i was getting some pieces of music in a shop in this town when to my terror you came in as i veiled my face and stood in the dark end of the shop i heard you explain that you wanted a musical instrument for a bedridden girl your voice and manner were so softened you showed such interest in its selection you took it away yourself with so much tenderness of care and pleasure that i knew you were a man with a most gentle heart oh mr jackson mr jackson if you could have felt the refreshing rain of tears that followed for me was phoebe playing at that moment on her distant couch he seemed to hear her i inquired in the shop where you lived but could get no information as i had heard you say you were going back by the next train but you did not say where i resolved to visit the station at about that time of day as often as i could between my lessons on the chance of seeing you again i have been there very often but saw you no more until to-day 
you were meditating as you walked the street but the calm expression of your face emboldened me to send my child to you and when i saw you bend your head to speak tenderly to her i prayed to god to forgive me for having ever brought a sorrow on it i now pray to you to forgive me and to forgive my husband i was very young he was young too and in the ignorant hardihood of such a time of life we don't know what we do to those who have undergone more discipline you generous man you good man so to raise me up and make nothing of my crime against you for he would not see her on her knees and soothed her as a kind father might have soothed an erring daughter thank you bless you thank you when he next spoke it was after having drawn aside the window curtain and looked out a while then he only said is polly asleep yes as i came in i met her going away upstairs and put her to bed myself leave her with me for to-morrow beatrice and write me your address on this leaf of my pocket-book in the evening i will bring her home to you and to her father hello cried polly putting her saucy sunny face in at the door next morning when breakfast was ready i thought i was fetched last night so you were polly but i asked leave to keep you here for the day and to take you home in the evening upon my word said polly you are very cool ain't you however polly seemed to think it a good idea and added i suppose i must give you a kiss though you are cool the kiss given and taken they sat down to breakfast in a highly conversational tone of course you are going to amuse me said polly oh of course said barbox brothers in the pleasurable height of her anticipation polly found it indispensable to put down her piece of toast cross one of her little fat knees over the other and bring her little fat right hand down into her left hand with a business-like slap after this gathering of herself together polly by that time a mere heap of dimples asked in a wheedling manner what are we going to do you dear old thing why i was thinking said barbox brothers but uh, are you fond of horses polly ponies i am said polly especially when their tails are long but horses no too big you know well pursued barbox brothers in a spirit of grave mysterious confidence adapted to the importance of the consultation i did see yesterday polly on the walls pictures of two long-tailed ponies speckled all over no 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 cried polly in an ecstatic desire to linger on the charming details not speckled all over speckled all over which ponies jump through hoops no 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 cried polly as before they never jump through hoops yes they do oh i assure you they do and eat pie in pinafores ponies eating pie in pinafores said polly what a story-teller you are ain't you upon my honour and fire off guns polly hardly seemed to see the force of the ponies resorting to firearms and i was thinking pursued the exemplary barbox that if you and i were to go to the circus where these ponies are it would do our constitutions good does that mean amuse us inquired polly what long words you do use don't you apologetic for having wandered out of his depth he replied that means amuse us that is exactly what it means 
there are many other wonders besides the ponies and we shall see them all ladies and gentlemen in spangled dresses and elephants and lions and tigers polly became observant of the teapot with a curled-up nose indicating some uneasiness of mind they never get out of course she remarked as a mere truism the elephants and lions and tigers oh dear no oh dear no said polly and of course nobody's afraid of the ponies shooting anybody not the least in the world no no not the least in the world said polly i was also thinking proceeded barbox that if we were to look in at the toy shop to choose a doll not dressed cried polly with a clap of her hands no 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 not dressed full dressed together with a house and all the things necessary for housekeeping polly gave a little scream and seemed in danger of falling into a swoon of bliss what a darling you are she languidly exclaimed leaning back in her chair come and be hugged or i must come and hug you this resplendent programme was carried into execution with the utmost rigour of the law it being essential to make the purchase of the doll its first feature or that lady would have lost the ponies the toy-shop expedition took precedence polly in the magic warehouse with a doll as large as herself under each arm and a neat assortment of some twenty or more on view upon the counter did indeed present a spectacle of indecision not quite compatible with unalloyed happiness but the light cloud passed the lovely specimen oftenest chosen oftenest rejected and finally abided by was of circassian descent possessing as much boldness of beauty as was reconcilable with extreme feebleness of mouth and combining a sky-blue silk pelisse with rose-coloured satin trousers and a black velvet hat which this fair stranger to our northern shores would seem to have founded on the portraits of the late duchess of kent the name of this distinguished foreigner brought with her from beneath the glowing skies of a sunny clime was on polly's authority miss maluka and the costly nature of her outfit as a housekeeper from the barbox coffers may be inferred from the two facts that her silver teaspoons were as large as her kitchen poker and that the proportions of her watch exceeded those of her frying-pan miss maluka was graciously pleased to express her entire approbation of the circus and so was polly for the ponies were speckled and brought down nobody when they fired and the savagery of the wild beasts appeared to be mere smoke which article in fact they did produce in large quantities from their insides the barbuck's absorption in the general subject throughout the realization of these delights was again a sight to see nor was it less worthy to behold at dinner when he drank to miss maluka tied stiff in a chair opposite to polly the fair circassian possessing an unbendable spine and even induced the waiter to assist in carrying out with due decorum the prevailing glorious idea to wind up there came the agreeable fever of getting miss maluka and all her wardrobe and rich possessions into a fly with polly to be taken home but by that time polly had become unable to look upon such accumulated joys with waking eyes and had withdrawn her consciousness into the wonderful paradise of a child's sleep 
sleep polly sleep said barbox brothers as her head dropped on his shoulder you shall not fall out of this bed easily at any rate what rustling piece of paper he took from his pocket and carefully folded into the bosom of polly's frock shall not be mentioned he said nothing about it and nothing shall be said about it they drove to a modest suburb of the great ingenious town and stopped at the forecourt of a small house do not wake the child said barbox brothers softly to the driver i will carry her in as she is greeting the light at the opened door which was held by polly's mother polly's bearer passed on with mother and child into a ground-floor room there stretched on a sofa lay a sick man sorely wasted who covered his eyes with his emaciated hands tresham said barbox in a kindly voice i have brought you back your polly fast asleep give me your hand and tell me you are better the sick man reached forth his right hand and bowed his head over the hand into which it was taken and kissed it thank you thank you i may say that i am well and happy that's brave said barbox tresham i have a fancy can you make room for me beside you here he sat down on the sofa as he said the words cherishing the plump peachy cheek that lay uppermost on his shoulder i have a fancy tresham i am getting quite an old fellow now you know and old fellows may take fancies into their heads sometimes to give up polly having found her to no one but you will you take her from me as the father held out his arms for the child each of the two men looked steadily at the other she is very dear to you tresham unutterably dear god bless her it was not much polly he continued turning his eyes upon her peaceful face as he apostrophized her it is not much polly for a blind and sinful man to invoke a blessing on something so far better than himself as a little child is but it would be much much upon his cruel head and much upon his guilty soul if he could be so wicked as to invoke a curse he had better have a millstone round his neck and to be cast into the deepest sea live and thrive my pretty baby here he kissed her live and prosper and become in time the mother of other little children like the angels who behold the father's face he kissed her again and gave her up gently to both her parents and went out but he went not to wales no he never went to wales he went straight away for another stroll about the town and he looked in upon the people at their work and at their play here there everywhere and where not for he was barbox brothers and company now and had taken thousands of partners into the solitary firm he had at length got back to his hotel room and was standing before his fire refreshing himself with a glass of hot drink which he had stood upon the chimney-piece when he heard the town clock striking and referring to his watch found the evening to have so slipped away that they were striking twelve as he put up his watch again his eyes met those of his reflection in the chimney-glass why it's your birthday already he said smiling you are looking very well i wish you many happy returns of the day he had never before bestowed that wish upon himself by jupiter he discovered it alters the whole case of running away from one's birthday it's a thing to explain to phoebe 
besides here is quite a long story to tell her that has sprung out of the road with no story i'll go back instead of going on i'll go back by my friend lamps up x presently he went back to mugby junction and in point of fact he established himself at mugby junction it was the convenient place to live in for brightening phoebe's life it was the convenient place to live in for having her taught music by beatrice it was the convenient place to live in for occasionally borrowing polly it was the convenient place to live in for being joined at will to all sorts of agreeable places and persons so he became settled there and his house standing in an elevated situation it is noteworthy of him in conclusion as polly herself might not irreverently have put it there was an old barbix who lived on a hill and if he ain't gone he lives there still here follows the substance of what was seen heard or otherwise picked up by the gentleman for nowhere in his careful study of the junction End of story 19, part 3